It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The next time you're in the supermarket, hovering by the bananas... Stop for a moment and think about where they might have travelled from and what they might have been travelling with. Shipments from Colombia are ever more ambitious with large concealments in containers of legitimate goods. For cocaine, it's commonly fruit, so pineapples and bananas. Cocaine. Often smuggled in in fresh fruit containers, its use in the UK is on the rise. In cities like London and Manchester, use is up 25% in the last year. And part of that is it's increasingly and relatively quite cheap. People think always oh, it's a middle-class, middle-aged dinner party drug. But from what we see online, it's everywhere. And its smuggled route from South American producer to South Kensington snorter has left a wake of violence. In Antwerp, there's been 200 incidents of violence in the last five years recorded by the authorities and that ranges from stabbings and shootings to an attempt to kidnap the Belgian justice minister. But what can the authorities do about it? We'll hear from a Sunday Times reporter who has just had a look behind the crime-fighting scenes. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, cocaine Britain, traffickers versus the police. I'm Dipesh Gadher. I'm the Home Affairs Correspondent at The Sunday Times, and I mainly cover crime and immigration. and recently got an inside look at an operation to catch drug traffickers here in the UK. This was back in April last year. So we're at Portsmouth Docks. Dawn is breaking. There are some undercover officers from the National Crime Agency, uh, which is sort of Britain's equivalent of the FBI, monitoring an unusual flurry of activity on the dockside. And what's happened is that a container ship has come from Colombia with a very large consignment of bananas destined for UK supermarkets. There are a group of dockers who seem to be taking an unusual interest in two particular pallets of bananas on this ship and are moving them to a separate part of the port away from 
the rest of the consignment. Suspicious. I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens? So the officers keep monitoring what's going on. There are two pallets which are then taken to a separate warehouse. A few hours later, a truck arrives at the port gates. Those two pallets are loaded onto that lorry. The lorry is then driven about 100 miles up to Litchfield in Staffordshire and arrives at a business premises which is linked to a guy called Jonathan Arnold. Hmm. And he is the son of Sue Arnold, a former... Tory police chief from Staffordshire and also happened to be educated at Repton School, one of Britain's most prestigious schools, uh, who alumni I think include Roald Dahl and uh, Jeremy Clarkson, no less. And when it arrives, what is he expecting? Well, he and his gang are rather hoping that this truck is going to be containing one and a half tonnes of cocaine. Which is how much? That would have a street value of £118 million in the UK. Okay. And so the truck does arrive, they open it up. What do they see? Dummy packages, unfortunately for them. What's actually happened, and which is why the NCA were monitoring it, is because prior to arriving in Portsmouth, the ship had made a brief stop in the Netherlands. Dutch police had found the consignment of drugs on board, tipped off their British counterparts, and somewhere along the journey back to Portsmouth, it was switched for dummy packages. So then they could track it and see who was expecting it. Yeah, who the recipient was going to be. And when you say dummy packages and also a consignment of cocaine, what does that actually look like? Normally, in these kinds of consignments on container ships, it's actually blocks of the drug. Mm. I was told in one particular previous investigation, when the agencies have decided to put in dummy packages, they slipped in packets of A4 photocopy paper as a replica. Which I imagine has a much lower street value. Uh, Yes, (laughs) about the same weight. We'll come back to Jonathan Arnold in a moment. But first of all, that ton and a half consignment which was caught is not the only consignment of drugs arriving in the UK. I'm sure it's one of many. Do we know what the what the scale of uncaught shipments is? I mean, that is probably the tip of the iceberg. The law enforcement agencies think that the UK consumes about 117 tonnes of cocaine a year which to give you some idea of scale i've been told that's that's enough to fill a top flight premier league football stadium and is that a lot compared to other countries about right or what it makes us the uh, biggest consumer per capita of cocaine in europe and being very bad at maths i can't necessarily translate across what your street value calculations of was that consignment earlier what is that in monetary terms is this Big business. So the National Crime Agency estimate that the trade in the UK is worth £11 billion a year, which is pretty eye-watering. So they see it as a big problem in terms of all the things that they have to deal with? Yeah. I mean, this agency deals with a number of different things. It's there to tackle serious and organised crime, and drugs is very much near the top of their list. 
part of your reporting on this, Depeche, has been informed by the fact that the NCA, the National Crime Agency, have, have engaged with you on this and I guess wanted to pull back the curtain a little bit to try and show what's going on. What was that like? What did you make of their motives? What did you think they were trying to show you? How useful was that? It was eye-opening for sure. So I had a briefing with a guy called Andy Mason, who is the drug threat lead at the NCA. He's been in the business for over 30 years. He originally started his career as a sort of customs investigator. So he has been charting the sort of varying trends that the drug gangs have been employing over that period of time. What he doesn't know, no one will, basically. Mm. And I think the reason why they were willing to engage is that they want to get across a message to, dare I say it, Times and Sunday Times readers about the impact that this trade is causing. I guess most people will know about the violence that's sparked by feuds between drug gangs. You only had to see a bit of that in Liverpool last year with the tragic killing of um, Olivia Pratt-Corbell. But the agencies are also trying to reinforce this message that, look, this trade also has an environmental side to it back in the jungles of uh, South America. So much is uh, cut down in order to produce the cocaine in the first place. Mm. And then in the actual production process to extract the cocaine from the coca leaf, there's all sorts of nasty pollutants and chemicals, kerosene and sulfuric acid that's used, which then just washes away into the waterways in South America. So he thinks there's an irony that, you know, you're a liberal middle-class drug user who's very careful about which bin to put their glass bottle in and a bit of of plastic doesn't quite realise the actual, the environmental damage their drug habit might be causing. And how do they know actually what the scale of, of cocaine use and consumption is in the UK? Traditionally, they used to base the consumption on user surveys, so people who actually take the drug. Or someone knocking at your door with a clipboard well, would say, <laughs> Mr Jones, I've got a few questions I'd like to ask. I think it's probably more in rehab clinics and yes. things like that. But obviously, there's a fair chance that that's going to be an underestimate. More recently, what they've been doing is taking a look at traces of the drug in wastewater samples in the major cities. And what this shows is that in cities like London, Manchester, Birmingham, the consumption has risen by about 25% over the last year. So it's on the increase. Do we know why it's on the increase? There's a few different reasons, but I think... In a cost-of-living crisis, one thing that struck me was that the street price of the drug has stayed stable. So whilst everything else is going up in price, the price for a gram of cocaine is, is about 40 quid. So if inflation is going up, that price has stayed stable, it makes it relatively cheaper, and therefore the usage becomes more widespread. But why hasn't cocaine got more expensive with, like, Lurpak and the rest? because you have to pay in cash when Mm. you buy it. So if you think it through, if the price is £40 a gram, you're not really going to do a street deal and sort of ask for £42 or £43 because you'd have to give someone change whilst you're sort of waiting for the cops and whatever. Yeah, they'd have to go around with a float. Yeah, and I don't think that many people carry fivers. So basically the next price up would have to be another tenner, so 50 quid which would probably put the dealer out of business. I see. And what is this doing to the UK? You know, it's not just people consuming this in the privacy of their own homes and it has no impact anywhere. No, 
as it's become relatively cheaper, its use has become more widespread. So whereas before it might have been the sort of preserve of clubbers or city boys or you know, middle-class dinner parties, it's now spreading to you know the football terraces. There's a lot of evidence that a lot of football fans are using it instead of like alcohol. So it's led to a surge in violence and hooliganism on the terraces and around football grounds. It's quite a significant factor in domestic abuse cases. There was a recent pilot project which showed that in seven police force areas, the suspects who were tested, 59% of them, nearly two-thirds, had traces of cocaine or opiates in their bloodstream. Which is a massive amount. Yeah, and there was, in fact, there was one police force area where the figure was 85%. Coming up, just how is cocaine reaching our shores? And what can the authorities do to stop it? That's after this. 
used to cultivate the coca plant has increased fourfold in the last 10 years or so to about 500,000 acres. And not only has the area got bigger of where it's being grown, the actual growing techniques have improved. So the actual yield Mm. has increased exponentially as well. And is that just because there's demand around the world? So they're streamlining their operations to meet that? Like a lot of products, it's a supply and demand equation, isn't it? And obviously, Colombia and other countries which produce cocaine, Peru and Bolivia, they're relatively poor countries. So it is lucrative for some elements there to actually grow it. And how is all of this controlled in countries like Colombia? Because if you think of TV shows like Narcos or Pablo Escobar, you get the image of a king of cocaine who is on top of all of this. Is that still the case that there's a sort of one or two big players driving it? I think that Pablo Escobar days is long gone. Um, You know, there was a time, you're right, uh, 30, 40 years ago where he was pretty much the main man and his Medellin cartel had a stranglehold over pretty much the entire world's supply of cocaine. What's happened more recently or over the last, say, 10, 20 years is that different organised crime groups from North America and Europe have managed to get a foothold into Colombia. They've put their lieutenants there and effectively turned that operation around. So it's known as something called end-to-end trafficking. So that the gang that's in Europe has their man on the ground in South America and keeps an eye on the whole supply chain all the way to Europe and to the streets of the UK. So it's not someone dealing to someone, dealing to someone, dealing to someone. It's almost one supplier dealing from growing it to it reaching the streets. Correct, yeah. And how actually is it making that journey to Europe? The vast majority of cocaine that ends up in Europe is transported on commercial container ships, freight cargo ships, like the one that arrived in Portsmouth docks last year. And often it's in consignments of fresh produce. Customs officers also know the telltale signs of containers used to conceal drugs, like this one spotted a few months ago. This is a typical load of bananas. There, you can clearly see their shapes. But the scanner shows us the mass is not the same. And there we have two tons of cocaine which have been hidden. So what happens is that the drug barons will pick on a particular container ship. They will hide the drugs that they want to transport somewhere, usually on route to the port. But sometimes what's going on is that a cargo ship will set sail. And this is how the tactics have shifted. Um, Sometimes some of these gangs will actually pursue via speedboat a moving container ship. And this is the best way they found of evading the um, checks. Um, They will pursue it at sea, literally throw up ropes to the side of a moving ship and then shimmy on up. These kind of gang members are known as monkeys. They'll shimmy on up on ropes and then get on board the ship without the crew's knowledge, secrete the drugs in a one particular container, and then jump off again. And so dangerous, but I guess the stakes are high. There's there's just a lot of money to be made. They're basically willing to risk life and limb to feed that demand over here. So what impact is that having then on not just wherever it lands, but also where it leaves as well? 
quite a lot of the uh, drugs that end up in Europe tend to depart from a port in Ecuador, which neighbours Colombia, called Guayaquil. And quite a lot of those freight ships start their journey there and end up in a Belgian port at Antwerp. So far this year, more than 300 tonnes of cocaine have been confiscated in cargo. But Ecuadorian experts estimate that's less than 30% of what gets through. A new record for cocaine seizures in the Belgian port of Antwerp. Belgian authorities say they seized almost 110 tonnes of the drug last year. Those are both massive ports, so it's quite hard to check every single container that's leaving or arriving. It's described to me as um, the bigger haystack in which to hide your needle effectively. But both those cities have been you know, mired in violence as a result of this trade because gangs are sort of fighting it out for control of those two port cities. In Guayaquil last year, there were reportedly more than 1,200 deaths including beheadings, to the degree that it sadly has earned the nickname Guayaquil. Guayaquil has become the epicentre of a turf war among national and international gangs. Bombings and killings have become daily occurrences, as its port has turned into the main transport hub for cocaine trafficking. There are Mexican gangs there, there are Albanians, you name it. And then on the European side, in Antwerp, which seems to have usurped Rotterdam as the traditional port where these drugs arrived. There's been 200 incidents of violence in the last five years, recorded by the authorities. This city of 500,000 people is locked in a drugs war that's overwhelmed the system. There's more crime than our local police and our justice system can cope with. That ranges from stabbings and shootings to an attempt to kidnap the Belgian justice minister by alleged drug gang members. Why? Because he was doing too well at catching them all? They didn't like his uh, interference in their trade. <laughs> so it's clearly an incredibly difficult thing to try and police. We've got cheap product and lots of it managed to get to the UK. What are British police, the National Crime Agency, actually doing if, like you say, it is an enormous haystack with a few needles sprinkled amongst it. I think they're sort of obviously having to try their best. I mean, it is almost like a game of whack-a-mole, and that's not helped by the fact that the uh, tactics that the gangs use shift according to the successes that the police have. I mean, to be fair on the authorities, they are often reliant on advanced intelligence in order to kind of catch consignments, as I suspect they had in the case of the Portsmouth Hall. And they did actually, a couple of years ago, uh, they had a massive breakthrough. The law enforcement agencies across the world managed to infiltrate a uh, encrypted app called EncroChat. Mm. It's a bit like WhatsApp, but it's used exclusively by criminals to sell their wares. So they managed to infiltrate that. And as a result of that, actually, there were about 40, 50 odd arrests last year in Europe, which involved what they described as a super cartel, which actually supposedly controlled about a third of the supply of cocaine into the continent. So they have some successes like that, but obviously the volume of consignments that come over, you know, in Antwerp, they recovered 110 tonnes last year, and that compares to seven tonnes in 2014. So it's shot up massively, but they can only obviously carry out checks on a fraction of 
the ships and containers that arrive because if they started checking every single boat, the entire port and the supply chain for supermarket food and whatever would... All that fresh food would go on. Yeah, it would go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you said there that some of the criminals are changing their tactics based on the successes that the police have. In what way? Do we know what the criminal gangs have done differently because the police are onto them in a certain aspect? There's a very interesting case recently. Instead of hiding the drugs in pallets of bananas, there was a recent consignment that arrived in Thurrock, actually, near Essex, where the police recovered 800 bags of charcoal. And when they actually carried out tests on the charcoal, which is obviously a very porous substance, they discovered that it was actually totally laced with liquid cocaine. That would obviously require the drug to be extracted in a laboratory over here to get it out. But obviously it's an ingenious way of actually disguising the drug itself. I know you said it's unlikely that police would do a spot check on a container of consignment and and stumble across bags of cocaine by chance. But I guess even if you did in that instance, it would just look like charcoal. You'd have no reason to be suspicious of it. Yeah, exactly. How much cocaine can you get in a bag of charcoal? (laughs) Well, that, 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 that consignment of 800 bags was worth £120 million. Gosh. So very difficult then to get people like... Jonathan Arnold, the man we were talking about, whose consignment via Portsmouth arrived at his business premises, not packed full of cocaine, but packed full of of dummy packets because the police were onto him. What actually happens to someone like him when caught is the book thrown at them. Yeah, well, actually, he pleaded guilty at Birmingham Crown Court earlier this year, and he was actually sentenced a couple of weeks ago, and he received 23 and a half years. He's allegedly the head of an organised crime group. It wasn't just that one specific consignment that he was involved with, which came via Portsmouth. There was a couple of others. But yeah, he's been jailed for 23 and a half years, which is a pretty long stretch. To give you a little bit more context, there were two corrupt port workers, the guys who were unloading those suspicious pallets. One got 21 years and the other got 14 years. And the lorry driver, who basically just drove it up the motorway, he got 13 years. So when they catch them, they are throwing the book at them, for sure. And in this story, Depeche, you've had fascinating access to what is happening at the moment. But even for someone like you, who's been reporting on this for ages... Was any part of this shocking? Because it's shocking to our ears, but is it it to yours? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been reporting on crime for 20-odd years, and drugs trade is as old as the hills, I guess. But the actual size of the trade involved is pretty eye-popping. And the actual sums that are actually made from it, you know, £11 billion a year, I mean, that's not something to be sniffed at. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Luke Jones, and my guest, Sunday Times Home Affairs correspondent, Depeche Gadda. If you're a subscriber, you can read more of Depeche's work, including his piece about the questions hanging over who really owns PPE MedPro, the company linked to Baroness Moan, which was given £200 million by the government during the pandemic. And if you're curious about what 
charcoal soaked in cocaine actually looks like, we've put a link to Depeche's article in the show notes so you can click that and have a look. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer today was James Shield. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, please leave us a review. It'll help others find us. Goodbye. <laughs>